Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sally Gentry. And this is National Kidney Month. Did you know, guys? March is National Kidney Month. Yeah. What we do know, we've talked about it here on the Gifted Life before, is that kidneys are needed a lot across the board. Across the country, there are 85,000 plus waiting for a kidney. And you know, Lori and Joey, here in Louisiana, we have right at 2,000 people on the waiting list. Right. And out of that 2,000, right at 1,800 are waiting on a kidney. What? I know. We hear about this all the time. That's why we go out and we try to educate as much as possible. And you know, on this podcast, we're focusing on recent updates that have been made to the National Kidney Transplant Policy. So we're focusing on those updates. What does that mean? Right. So the policy update really focuses on who gets the kidney. Mm -hmm. They tried to put a policy in place that would maximize that person's gifts while at the same time being fair and equitable to all potential recipients. We have a sample size three years in the making to see if this allocation is working. Yeah, so we're going to look at that today. That is the focus of this Gifted Life podcast. So obviously, we are ready to get into this. And Joey, that's going to be your thing, kind of breaking that down Mm -hmm. as our chief clinical officer there. But we want to share this information because education is key, right, when it comes to saving lives. So we want folks to hear about this. We try to make it as easy as possible. That's right. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever your favorite podcast app might be. And you can find us on social media, Facebook, or Donate Life Louisiana, Twitter, Instagram, at Donate Life LA. Join us today. And you can also give us a call, and that number is 504-648-3477. We may even play your message on the podcast. The podcast hotline. Legit. I love it. So we hope that you share your story, become a partner with us here on The Gifted Life. So as we said, lots to get to today. So here we go. As we said, this episode, it's March National Kidney Month. That's what we are talking about here. We brought in a special guest. His name is Darren Stewart. Hey, Darren. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Now, Darren is a UNOS researcher. You may remember us talking about UNOS episode 51. So, Darren, if we had to describe what UNOS was, what would you say, bud? We save lives by matching organs. So that's the way to remember UNOS, saving lives, uh, matching organs. So what UNOS is, is a nonprofit organization, a company here in Richmond, Virginia, that operates the federal contract for managing the nation's organ donation and transplant system. So we have the computers here and the computer programmers, a lot of them, that um, make the match happen. So uh, when the clinical information about uh, a donor who becomes available is entered into the system, our program runs the match and determines who the next best candidate is uh, to receive that organ in accordance with national policy. So UNOS, United Network for Organ Sharing, UNOS.org, for those of you out there who want data, research, those kinds of things, that is a good resource for you as well. Now, Darren, specifically, uh, you focus on kidney allocation and policies research. So break it down. What is it that you do for UNOS? That's right. So so UNOS broadly handles all solid organ uh, transplant allocation. So kidneys, livers, lungs, hearts, 
et cetera. I focus a lot on kidney data and kidney allocation analyses. I'm a principal research scientist in UNOS's research department. Been here about 10 years, and I've been involved with the uh, National Kidney Transplantation Committee that is responsible for evaluating how the policies are doing and looking at data and ultimately proposing policy changes. And of course, a big change came along in 2014 that we're going to be talking about a little bit uh, more later today. So let's talk about that. So I think if I'm not mistaken, it was December 4th, 2014? That's that's right. December 4th. It's a date that a lot of us will remember very right. well since I'm proud. It was a culmination over about a decade <laughs> and a lot of work yes, went into it was. making that happen for December 4th. Yes, it was. So the policy was implemented uh, on December 4th, 2014. When you guys were looking at the data from the previous system that was in place as far as kidney allocation, getting the kidneys to the most appropriate, best matched potential recipients. What were some of the big challenges that you saw that needed to be put in place when you were creating the new system? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it can really boil down to sort of three areas of shortcomings, if you will, of the old system. The previous system had been in place for decades and was largely a simple waiting time-based system, first come, first serve. There's sort of a fairness aspect to that, and some of that is certainly preserved in the current system. But what we noticed in the data with the old system, number one, is that there wasn't very good longevity matching between the organs, the kidneys that were being donated by families and their loved ones, and the recipients that were, were getting those kidneys. So that's one area is the longevity matching. Secondly is fairness and equity in access to transplants, there were pretty sharp disparities in the likelihood of getting a transplant and the average waiting times for patients that had sensitization levels. In other words, were pre-sensitized to reject a lot of organs. And so they just didn't have much of a chance to get a transplant because most organs would be incompatible with them. And so they they just really weren't um, having much opportunity in the old system. And then there were also inequities by racial and ethnic minority groups. I can talk a little bit more about that. But then the third area uh, that was seen as a trouble spot with the old system is in kidney usage. So, and I'll describe briefly what that means, but not every single kidney that is donated actually gets transplanted. And we want to fix that. We want to improve that. It's a very medically complex decision about whether to transplant a kidney. And some kidneys end up Uh, not being transplanted when they potentially could benefit somebody. That was an area that uh, the new kidney allocation system, or CAS, uh, aimed to improve as well. So how do you feel that the system has improved? Specifically, you touched on the ethnicity, race disparity concerns that were there with the previous system. How has a new CAS, or kidney allocation system, improve these? Have you guys seen any changes there? Yeah, we absolutely have. So uh, that's certainly a policy goal that's been met. In fact, we've recently done uh, some work analyzing not only the impact of of CAS, which is a three-year-old policy, but the impact of a series of policies going back to the mid-90s that were aimed at reducing the disparities in access to kidney transplants among different racial ethnicities and minorities. So that gap was quite large in the 90s. The likelihood of getting a transplant, uh, for example, for African-American patients uh, was lower than for white patients. That gap gradually started closing in the 2000s, but there still remained a gap. And so I'll just describe that data-wise. If you looked at the percentage of candidates on the waiting list for white versus black patients, 
it was about the same. However, the percentage of transplants going to African Americans was significantly lower than going to white and other ethnicities. So with CAS, we actually see that uh, that disparity is, is essentially gone. The average waiting time is pretty much identical. Uh, white candidates, African American candidates, and those percentages lined up pretty closely where the percentage of transplants going to African Americans lines up with the percentage of candidates on the list who are African American. So the kidney allocation system definitely has made a significant improvement in equity with respect to racial and ethnic access to transplantation. The primary driver for that was the way waiting time was changed in the system. So in the old system, uh, the, the waiting time that you would get that was sort of credited to you as a patient uh, that would determine you know, how high up on the list you, you were was based on when the transplant center you listed at uh, actually entered you into the system. And the problem with that is that it's highly dependent on a lot of factors that may be outside of the control of the patient. In particular, some patients don't get referred for transplantation. Right. They don't get educated about it. There's gaps in the system in terms of getting that information to patients so they can make that decision if they're indeed a good transplant candidate. Uh, and there's some disparities that have been recognized in terms of delayed referral uh, or lack of referral uh, to transplantation as a treatment option by race and ethnicity. So by changing the starting point for accumulating waiting time priority to when you started dialysis instead of when you happened to be entered into the computer system, that has really uh, wiped away those uh, racial and ethnic disparities, at least among uh, African-American compared to white candidates. Now, there are still some smaller disparities that are being looked into for, uh, for other candidates, but that, that's a major success uh, of the kidney allocation system. So overall, then, many candidates would not have received uh, a transplant before the allocation? They may not have received a transplant, uh -huh. or they may have received a transplant after having waited you know, on average, say, time. a year longer I or see. Uh, three quarters of a year longer. Okay. And you also touched on maximizing the longevity matching. When talking about longevity matching, we're really looking at how long these kidneys are going to last in this particular recipient. So how have the needs there been addressed? Have you guys seen an improvement in at least some age and ethnicity factors? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can look at this. One of the ways is uh, looking at the number and percentage of kidney transplants in which the donor and recipient have a 30 or more year age gap. Um, and so very much age or longevity mismatched in terms of the likely time that that transplanted kidney is going to survive and then patient age as well. And so we've seen that uh, the percentage of transplants that have a 30 or more year difference in donor and recipient age has dropped by over 22% with the new system. There's a couple other ways to look at it. One of the ways to look at it is that uh, before the new kidney allocation system, the one year before, there were about 560 kidney transplants from donors age 18 to 34 that went to um, patients age 65 or older, and that was 16% of, of kidney transplants. And those patients, deserve a transplant, they need a transplant, but they may not need a transplant from a donor that young right. uh, when there are also uh, patients that are younger uh, and uh, arguably would need a transplant that lasts longer right. uh, because if they don't get a transplant that's going to last longer, 
their graft may fail, their organ may fail, and they may wind up uh, back on the waiting list, which isn't good for anybody. So I mentioned 16% of transplants had that uh, age 18 to 34 donor going to age, 80, uh, age um, 65 plus recipients. Uh, that dropped under 10% under the new system. That's an impressive change that we're seeing, of course. And you mentioned, you know, that some patients would have to get put back on the list and then you need to be retransplanted. Oftentimes you have now more antibodies, mm. which then causes more potential for rejection. And then it creates more of a problem trying to match up, you know, with a potential future donor. So what we did see with the change, Darren, and maybe you can touch on it, you know, we had a lot of highly sensitized patients, a lot of patients that had a lot of these antibodies, potential rejection that had been on the list for years and years and years. And we certainly saw a disparity there where they weren't getting transplanted. So how did this, the, the change initially affect this population? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And definitely one of the major changes with CAS, and I would say the major successes of CAS, is giving those types of patients that are on the list some hope of receiving a transplant. So those types of patients, I mean, those that have become sensitized, their immune systems are overactive, whether it's because they got a previous kidney transplant, that can trigger this sensitivity development, pregnancy or blood transfusion can as well. And so there are degrees of sensitization. Some patients are only mildly sensitized and, you know, they're compatible with, with most kidney donors, um, not much of a problem. But the old definition of highly sensitized was if you had a, if you were um, incompatible with 80% or more of donors, uh, then you were highly sensitized. But what we recognized in the data was that there's a lot of patients that were 97, 98, 99% sensitized, or even 100% sensitized, which it rounds to 100, it's not exactly 100, but basically what it's saying is that they have so many preformed antibodies uh, floating around in their bloodstream that the chances of finding a compatible kidney donor is akin to winning the lottery. Wow. Uh, one in 10,000, one in a million, uh, depending on exactly the patient's medical characteristics. So in the old system, which viewed all candidates with uh, an 80% uh, sensitivity and above as kind of being the same, uh, it would the old system awarded those patients uh, the equivalent of four years of waiting time. So it's as if they were waiting four years, even though they just got added to the list. Um, and the hope was that the idea was to give them increased chances of getting a transplant. Um, it worked for some patients if your your sensitivity was... 80, maybe 90%. But again, many, many patients, thousands in the U.S. have sensitization levels that are much closer to actually 100% in the upper 90s. And those patients weren't being uh, helped enough by the old policy. And so uh, the new policy uh, changed in a way that is more reflective of biology as well as more reflective of likelihood of getting a transplant. And so just really in brief, what, what the new system did for those very, very difficult to match patients was, number one, increase the distribution radius, so to speak, of kidneys around the country so that if you have a patient that's 99.9% .9 sensitized, maybe they're not that close to where the donor happened to be, but if they're on the other side of the country, this may be their you know, one shot in a lifetime to get a transplant. The new system actually gives them priority even over patients that are much closer to where the donor is. Uh, and then secondly, instead of sort of the four points 
if you have an 80% plus score, the points are assigned more along a continuum. Uh, think of it like a sliding scale uh, as this sensitization level goes from zero to 100%. And that's more reflective of, of how the biology works uh, with that old 80% threshold kind of being a little bit arbitrary and out of date. So what we've seen with the data, looking at uh, before CAS versus after CAS, there's much more equity uh, in access to transplants across this sensitization level spectrum. Uh, we actually have an equity and access report online. If any of your listeners are interested, if you type in UNOS or OPTN equity and access report, it should pop up. And there's just a, a lot of information about how the kidney allocation system improved equity in particular uh, with respect to these sensitized patients, uh, but also with respect to uh, racial and ethnic minorities, um, as well as a bunch of other factors. And keep in mind that kidneys can last, generally speaking, at least 24 hours, depending on the transplant center and mm -hmm. the potential donor. But that's a significant amount of time. So what we saw, especially in the first year, was a bolus effect where we had an influx of kidneys that were traveling. We sent a lot of kidneys to the West Coast and the East Coast in that first year, a lot more than we had sent in years past. And it's because of exactly this, the sensitized, highly sensitized patients that never had an opportunity that was sitting on the waiting list for, you know, double digit years and may have never, ever gotten that opportunity. And now with the cast, the policy change, they then started getting transplanted in abundance. So it was really, you know, I can tell you from, from our standpoint, very gratifying to see the work that we're doing and, and then the family's gifts and this donor's gifts being able to save someone who may have, in these cases, truly never gotten that chance. So that was, that was a really, at least from our standpoint, from this, you know, small viewpoint of, of Louisiana, very satisfying to be able to see these patients uh, get that, that second chance. And you, you talked a little bit about uh, the maximizing the kidney utilization. Do you think the CAS achieved the goals that you were intending first, maximizing the kidney utilization, especially on those that maybe weren't the perfect 18 to 25-year-old kidneys? And second, is there still work to be done, or do you see any changes in the future based on that same metric? Yeah, so actually there's a natural tie-in between your last point about kidneys being distributed to the East Coast or the West Coast to help these patients out that previously had little hope and the kidney utilization discussion. So there was a lot of fear and concern, especially uh, right out of the gate when, when the new system went into effect because organ procurement agencies noticed that uh, they're, they're having to ship a lot more kidneys and they were concerned, uh, you know, right, rightfully so, that, well, maybe these kidneys may not be used because if they're shipped all the way across the country and then it's found out at the last minute that this candidate that's highly sensitized may actually not be a good match, and sometimes that does happen, uh, is the kidney going to be used by anybody or is there going to be an unfortunate wasted organ situation? And the good news story is that by and large, these kidneys that are being shipped are going to the intended recipients. Yep. In fact, the, the, the effect that we've seen the percentage of transplants going to these 98, 99, 100% sensitized patients is higher than what was predicted uh, because, by and large, the transplant community, the, the OPOs, the transplant centers, are doing a good job in making sure they get into the right patients and are not, and are not wasted. 
Um, it's not perfect. There's still, you know, clinical situations that happen uh, where a kidney shift and then it, uh, it en ends up not being able to go to that patient. Uh, usually it goes to uh, a backup patient, and that's, that's a success as well. But by and large, that aspect of the system's been efficient, demonstrating that kidneys can be shipped uh, broader distances successfully. The other side of the coin is the question of how the kidney allocation system has impacted the utilization of organs that are maybe from slightly older donors, donors that might have had hypertension or diabetes or some, some uh, health conditions that make the kidney still usable, but maybe not the optimal kidney that's going to last 15 or 20 years, uh, but instead maybe only last 7 to 10 years. And so it's a medically complex decision for any patient should the patient and their transplant team utilize or accept a kidney that's expected to uh, function for, say, you know, 7 to 10 years or wait for the perfect kidney that might last over 20 years. There's a lot of improvements that could be made, I think, to the system to help with those decisions. But the reality is, under the old system and even today, a lot of those decisions end up being, no, I'll pass, I'll wait for a, another better kidney. And it's thought to be uh, the case that there's a significant number of these not-so-ideal but still transplantable kidneys that end up not being used every year. In fact, the National Kidney Foundation held a conference uh, in May of this past year focusing on this issue, kidney usage, uh, to try to make sure that every donated kidney, if it is indeed transplantable and could benefit patients on the list compared to staying on dialysis, which does not have great outcomes compared to transplant, uh, by and large, transplanted patients survive longer and have much better quality of life than dialysis, even with one of these uh, not perfect kidneys. So kind of cutting to the chase, we have not actually seen the improvements that were hoped for uh, in the area of kidney utilization for these, these again, less than perfect kidneys. About one in five uh, kidneys that's donated ends up not being used, again, from a deceased donor. And um, we saw a little bit of an improvement uh, in 2017 compared to uh, 2016 and 2015, which, is, which were the first two years after CAS went into effect. But I think there's still a lot more work to be done in that area. I think there's a number of different policy refinements. Uh, now that the new system, uh, which is a better system than the old one, is in place, there's a lot of refinement ideas uh, that could be done around that. I won't get into detail, but just basically conceptually, just talking about the whole equity and fairness aspect of the system, which is a bedrock principle and will continue to be there. But then there's the utility aspect of allocation, which if nobody gets the organ, yes, it's equal, but that does nobody any good. So it's systems or policy refinements that uh, aim toward finding a willing acceptor uh, for a kidney that may only last, say, seven to 10 years, uh, and doing so in an expedited way or an expeditious manner is something that the community is actively talking about to make sure the gift of life is maximized. So you, you talked about learning more as we go on. We're, we're three years into it. How does that work when you go and you tweak this policy, basically? Yeah, so that discussions uh, and deliberations, data analysis along those lines is, is happening now. The Kidney Transplantation Committee is looking at a few different areas of possible policy refinement. One of them has to do, again, with the, the sensitized patients. The system is a lot better than it was, but there's some refinements there that could be made. Another one is in the area of pediatric transplant access. So just in brief, the idea of, of CAS was 
to kind of to, to not really change uh, access to pediatric uh, candidates, but to leave it pretty much as it is, which is the fact that pediatrics get transplanted at a rate about four times faster than adults. Um, and so the idea with, with CAS is to kind of leave that alone. Uh, pediatrics receive priority, significant priority. So there was only minor changes with the kidney allocation system. Instead of prioritizing pediatric recipients to receive donors based on donor age, uh, age less than 35, a more sophisticated approach is used. Um, so uh, pediatrics receive priority for uh, those kidneys that are expected to last the longest. However, there's some refinements that folks think are needed, even though the number of pediatric transplants uh, has remained the same before and after CAS. The percentage of transplants going to pediatrics has gone from just above 4% to just below 4%. So a slight decline, and that's something that is in part related to those highly sensitized patients, which when you put those, those folks kind of at the top of the list, that ends up affecting uh, access for, for other candidates on the list. So there's definitely some refinements with respect to pediatric uh, transplants uh, and recipients, though their, their uh, access to transplant remains roughly the same as it was uh, under the old system, which again is much higher than for adults. Clinicians are, are recognizing that there may be areas to improve uh, the system to make sure they're getting the right kidney offers and that their outcomes remain good. Okay, so you guys talked about 2014 was when this was passed. Did we meet back at the table in five years, 10 years, or is it as needed basis? We're constantly looking at this data. and It's constant evaluation. Mm -hmm. uh, there was sort of a, a um, waiting period, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, of at least a year where the committee said, listen, let's just let the data settle out. Right. We mentioned bolus effects earlier. Let's see kind of where the steady state lies in terms of who's getting transplanted, in terms of you know, the percentage of kidneys that are, are transplanted and so forth. So we're kind of past that now. And so there's definitely recognized uh, areas of improvement. And so the committee's actively working on those. Good. Well, you seem like you know what you're talking about, uh -huh. Mr. Darren. <laughs> After 10 expert. years, man, we appreciate you. And so you said if we wanted to look on the you know, site, we wanted to do our own research from, from that perspective, where did you send us? Right. So there's a few places you can go, but one place kind of uh, would be sort of the hub. I would say you go to uh, optn.transplant.hrsa.gov, G-O-V. You can look up data, run data analyses and reports on your own. There's a lot of highlights of policy changes and different things that are going on within the transplant network. Uh, and that equity report can be found on there as well. Perfect. And I think we're going to have you back on, kind of walk us through this. I'd be delighted. Yeah, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Well, thanks so much for having me. In every podcast, we honor a hero. The hero today is Kenneth Doucette. Kenneth lived a life centered around public service. For over 30 years, Ken served as a volunteer member of the fire department while also working as a police officer in Port Allen. Ken was the first certified EMT of West Baton Rouge Parish. Following his retirement from Dow Chemical, after working 32 years as an operator, he put his emergency response skills to use as a dispatcher for the West Baton Rouge 911 Center. His four children could always count on him to coach their athletic teams or be a leader at their school booster clubs. Through tissue donation, his family was honored that he was able to make one final contribution to others. And now we pause to say thank you to Ken for the gift of life.
in our question and answer segment today. This question from our Donate Life Louisiana Facebook page. We always like when you guys reach out. This says, my mother just received a cornea transplant, wants to ask if there's any way she can find out more about the donor. She wants to contact the family and say thank you. Okay, what I suggest that she does is contact the surgeon who performed the corneal transplant and ask him if he would please give her or she would please give her the information as far as the uh, eye bank where the corneas came through. She can then contact them and they can provide her with additional information about how to write to the donor's family to thank them and other particulars that they may have that would help her in doing so. So there you have it. If you have a question for us and you want one of our experts to answer, or maybe we can find the answer for you, info at lopa.org. Episode 77 of The Gifted Life, guys. That is it. It's March. It's National Kidney Month. We talked about kidney allocation, and boy, did we get lessons today. Love it. Lots of knowledge. We want to definitely give a special thanks to Darren Stewart, UNOS researcher, for sharing with us the changes that happen with the kidney allocation system and and how those changes affected potential recipients. Yeah, and he told you where to go to get more information. We're going to give you some more resources. So UNOS.org, that's the United Network for Organ Sharing, UNOS.org, or the National Kidney Foundation. We're going to promote that here in March, National Kidney Month. So good episode. Absolutely. There you go. We hope we inspired you to go out and do something that you don't normally do to help us make life happen. And maybe you don't have that registration to be an organ tissue and eye donor on your license. You haven't talked about it. We hope that you do. If you're inspired to go and make that move, registerme.org. Go there today. We hope you have a good one. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sally Gentry. Our producers are Kirsten Hines and Shalon Caraway. We are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Metairie, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.